and during some of the toughest times, I have a little piece of paper in my wallet that I keep all the time, even to this moment, uh, of different things that I that mean to me, different sayings that mean a lot to me, uh, things that I strive for, recognizing my responsibility to give back. Reoccurring mantra I got into in college where I would just say, I'm going to break the mold. Two days after my second injury, my dad flew out to Indiana and we drove home. Went right up to my room, slept for a day, and then I woke up the next morning, I spray painted my wall. No quitting me. I remember, you know, there is no quitting me and I won't, you know, I won't give up. The number one thing you gotta remember is your transferring energy. And whatever energy you got is the energy the viewers are going to have. You are listening to Intentional Performers with Brian Levinson, where we talk with experts of craft about their journey and what they have intentionally done to be their best self. As we talk with them, the hope is that we uncover intentional gems that you can use in your life now. Let's kick it over to Brian to introduce this week's guest. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Intentional Performers Podcast. I am Brian Levinson. Excited to have you with us today for another incredible episode. But before we get to today's guest, I'd like to share a bit about myself. So my day job is that I work as an executive coach and a mental performance coach. And I founded a company called Strong Skills. And at Strong Skills, our team is on a mission to change how the world thinks about soft skills. See, we are facilitators and coaches, and we truly believe that labeling competencies like leadership, teamwork, and communication as soft devalues and minimizes the importance of these skills. And one of the strong skills that we teach is what we call shift your mind. And the teachings come from my book, which came out in October of 2020. If you enjoyed today's conversation or any of our past guests, then know you're going to love the book. You can head over to Amazon or anywhere books are sold to purchase, and you can even listen to the audiobook via Audible. Thanks to all of you who have already purchased, and I've been truly overwhelmed by the response the book has gotten so far. Lastly, if you enjoyed today's conversation or any of our previous episodes, we'd love it if you went over to iTunes and wrote us a review. It really helps us expand our reach for the podcast. Thanks to all of you who have already done so, and let's continue to share these intentional performers with the world. Now to today's guest. So Tara Vanderveer is an absolute legend in the world of basketball. She's a Hall of Famer. She's the five-time National Coach of the Year in college basketball. She's won three NCAA Division I titles. She's been to 13 Final Fours. She's won a gold medal with USA Basketball. Her awards and accolades are up there with just about any college coach. And oh, by the way, she's the all-time leader in wins in women's basketball. But you're going to find out pretty quickly that Tara does not really enjoy talking about herself. She doesn't really enjoy talking about her accolades. She loves talking about her teams. She loves talking about the athletes that she's had the privilege of coaching. She loves talking about Stanford University, where she is currently the head women's basketball coach. But Tara is the real deal when it comes to humility. She's authentic. She is somebody who cares deeply about the world. She cares deeply about basketball. That's going to come through in this conversation. And every time I sort of probe her and have her go deeper when it comes to herself, from an individual standpoint, you can feel her get a little awkward and actually change the course of our conversation today. So she is a legit coach. And I mean that with all the sincerity that I have. She genuinely cares about the people she serves and she really makes it about them. So I hope that comes through in today's conversation. So here is Tara Vanderveer. Coach, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Excited to learn from you today, to chat with you. Where I thought I'd start is there was an article that caught my attention about you, about how you spend your summers, I think since 2015, and how you go away and, and spend some time on the lake. So 
Can you tell us a little, little bit about the background and how you ended up deciding to do that and what those summers have been like for you over the past seven years? Uh, well, Brian, first of all, it's a pleasure to be here with you. Um, and just thinking about summer makes me happy. Um, it's, uh, it's something that as a young girl, from the time I was basically born, I've spent time at the lake. And obviously, you know, as basketball became more and more full-time all year, 24 seven, you know, it was harder and harder to get time to go to the lake, but I've always gone to, um, I've always gone to my family's house in Chautauqua, New York. And it's just a, it's a, it's a recharging. It's, um, you know, really trying to, you know, you get away from basketball, even though, you know, I'd be on the phone recruiting or, you know, be doing emails or things like that. Um, I would be on the lake and, I'm, I'm a real, I'm a water person. I love being out on the lake. Um, I have, uh, I have, I think too many boats, but uh, I love to water ski. I have a, a couple of sailboats, uh, kayaks, uh, stand up paddle boards, um, you know, kind of you name it and I'm on the water. Um, but um, in, in uh, 2015, or actually in 1996 after the Olympics, um, I decided to get a cabin that was remote. So. Uh, my, my parents, my family's house is in New York and it's kind of a busy lake and it's, um, there's a lot going on. There's concerts. It's a cultural resort. Chautauqua, New York is really a great place. And, and I love it, but um, it, I, I would leave there like exhausted because I'm doing so much. So I, uh, I got, I got a place um, in Northern Minnesota that um, is on a lake and it's very quiet, very remote. And, you know, I, I, I decided like I would spend like maybe um, we're on the quarter system at Stanford. So um, I would spend, you know, like three weeks or a month in August uh, at that lake. And then one year that just seemed like it would just, you know, just seemed like it was a particularly really tiring year. I thought about retiring and one of the people at Stanford uh, recommended that instead just take a summer off. And, you know, professors do that every seven years. They have a sabbatical, but coaches never do that. And I just thought, wow, that's impossible. But I, in fact, um, my athletic director said, yeah, that's okay. And uh, it really was a great thing for me. And from then on, I really, um, uh, I, I figured out ways to work from kind of the lake, you know, whether it's, especially during COVID. Now during COVID, I was there the whole summer, but, um, you know, I'll still go to the recruiting events and, you know, uh, I'll come back to Stanford for our basketball camp and things like that. But um you know, just, uh, I, I feel like, you know, that gives me a lot. Of, it really helps my energy during the year that I can be all in during the season when I've had that great uh, time on the lake in the summer. If you look back at your career and you could tell your 30 year old, 40 year old self, um, mm -hmm. Hey, you know, there's an opportunity to go on a lake. How would you have responded to that at 30 or 40? Just that notion or that idea of, yeah. you called it almost like a mini sabbatical, just having the summer right. to, to be, what what would your 30 or, or 35 or 40 year old self have said to, to Tara? Well, I think that um, what I would tell my 30, I would, I would say, get a ski boat when you're 30. You know, I waited until I was like 50 something, you know, um, I would, I would, I would probably, I probably would have learned it sooner. You know, I'm, I think as a younger coach and I talked to one of our great fans was um, he was like kind of head of the psychiatric uh, department here at Stanford and in the medical school. And he was a photographer for our team. And one time I asked him, I said, you know, I work all the time. And so sometimes when you're younger, you're going to have that, you know, you're, he said, you know, you're just going to have times in your life where you're going to work more and you're going to, uh, you know, you need to do that. But um, I, I think I probably would have, started, uh, started getting on the lake a little sooner. If I, if I could do it again. What does it feel like for you when you're on one of those boats or you're, you're skiing or your paddle boat, mm -hmm. paddle boarding, like, what's it feel like when you're on the lake and, and how is that maybe different from when you're coaching? It's just really relaxing. You know, it's really fun. It, I mean, it's obviously, you know, it's exercise. Um, you're in nature. I mean, like where I am, you know, at, at Chautauqua, when I'm there, you know, where I'm on a big boat and, the, you know, it's just, you're out and it's just the sounds, the, the, the water, the, you know, the, the sunshine, it's just spectacular. Um, you know, it can be competitive. I sail competitively too, like race and stuff like that, but um, it can be, just be totally relaxing. Um, you know, when I'm up at the cabin in Minnesota, it's, um, you know, there's an eagle flying overhead or, 
you know, it's just, you're in nature and it's, it's just, it's, you know, you just kind of, um, you know, I, I guess, uh, you know, when you die, no one's going to say, well, you know, um, <laughs> you know, do you wish you worked more? You know, um, I, I'm going to wish I played more. It's interesting you use that word play. I, for myself, like, I love my work. It's clear you, you love basketball, you mm -hmm. love coaching. Uh, so the passion is, is there, but for me, next year is going to be the first year I'm actually taking July and August off from seeing clients one-on-one -on -one. and I, I'm 38. So um, I think that's smart, Brian. Yeah, it's scary though. Right. Like I, I think I had to build my business and my practice and right. I had to fill the calendar and, and stay busy and, and keep going. And uh, I don't know what it's going to be like to sort of spend time. My wife works in the schools, so she's off. My kids are, you know, it's summertime for them. And so I'm excited about it, but I'm curious. I don't know what it's going to be like. Can you go back to that you're first gonna, summer? Like, you're going to love it. You're yeah. going to love it. You'll never go back. <laughs> but why? Why is it? Why is it so uh, necessary? Well, it reminds you of being a kid, I think, you know, in the summer, you know, remember the last day of school, like how excited you were about the summer and, you know, you had the whole summer ahead of you and you're going to go swimming and you're going to go fishing and you're going to do all those things at the lake. And, you know, that's what we, that's what I did. My dad, uh, the car was parked out going out the driveway and, you know, my parents were both in education and they had their summers, although they, they worked too, but, um, you know, we loaded up the car and we were, we we're at the lake that, you know, as soon as school went out, we were at the lake that night and, you know, you're having a, a bonfire and s'mores and you're doing, you're going swimming, you're, you know, I mean, it's just, it's, it's really uh, rejuvenating. Um, you will love it, love it, love it. And besides which, how often are you going to have your kids that young? You know, um, you know, work will always be there. And I think you can, you know, you can always come back to it. And I think that, you know, as if you're in, you know, psychology, um, you know, you're setting a good example for your clients. So taking care of yourself. It's interesting. My next podcast guest after you is Bronco Mendenhall and Bronco walked away from university of Virginia's football team. He was there for six years and they were on the way up and he's like, you know what? I'm going to take next year off in part because his kids are on a mission and he, it's an opportunity for him to be with his wife and it's mm -hmm. a unique opportunity. Why do you think many of us are afraid of either taking a, a year a sabbatical, like I think Bronco's planning on, mm. or even just to give our summers off or heck, a lot of people struggle to take a week or two off from work. What do you yeah. think that's about? I don't know. There, uh, There's a, maybe a certain work addiction, you know, like if you're not working, you're feeling something, someone's outworking you or, um, you know, there's, um, and I think sometimes people think that more is better. And in fact, sometimes I think less is better. Um, you know, just, just because you're in the office all the time, just because you're, you know, you feel like you're, you know, there, there are times where, you know, honestly, yeah, I've got to grind it out, you know, um, you know, but I think that for me, especially, you know, I'm, I'm at the, I'm kind of, you know, at the end of my career and, um, I have to, I have to pace myself, you know, um, you only have so much tread on your tire and you, you want to spend it in the way I, I kind of use the analogy of a, a thoroughbred versus a plow horse. You know, there's only there's certain certain things that only I can do for our program, and I need to be excited about doing those things and and do those things really well. You know, it might be obviously coaching, you know, championship games. It might be you know recruiting the absolute best players. You know that that we want to that we want to get. Um, I've got to be into it and excited for that. And you know, for me, I I kind of thought about it. You know, back in the old days, you would, you could recruit for like six weeks during the summer. And I realized that I was going to be sent, spending, you know, like years of my life sitting in these gyms, watching these kids that I, I couldn't re recruit hardly any of them anyway, you know, and I'm like, I don't want to spend my time that way. So I'm, I want to, I want to be more of a, um, instead of like, instead of living life, like if I'm fishing with a net, I want to do it with a, a lure. You know, I want to really pick my spots of what I'm going to do, how I'm going to do it. And how well I want to do it, you know, not just like throw stuff out there and, and, and kind of run myself down. It's interesting. You mentioned heading toward the end of your career next year, you'll be 70 years old. Mm -hmm. um, and I think next year is the 50th anniversary of title nine, or is it this, this, year, year? Was. this year was right. Yeah. These are like big milestones. Uh, I'm sure for you times to reflect as you think about the last 50 years 
uh, certainly in, in women athletics and, and Title IX has far reach beyond that. But the last 50 years as and what you've witnessed and you think about yourself as you think about the future, talk a little bit about the past and, and where things have have come from and also talk about where things are going um, as you think about you know year 70 and, and where you're going right. and, and where women athletics is going as well. Well, I'm a young, I'm a young 69 right now. Uh, <laughs> sorry to, but, sorry uh, to rush you there. <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of a weird thing today, Brian, um, is the, is there's, there's a service for uh, a woman, her name is Phyllis Bailey. And she was the a woman that was the ath- athletic director, um, for women's sports at Ohio state and became like the SWA. And she was the first person that hired me. And, you know, it, that, that does make me reflect on, you know, and that was, you know, almost, you know, 45 years ago. And that does make me reflect on how long I've been doing this and kind of the direction that all this stuff is going in, um, which, um, you know, it's, it's very challenging time right now. And I think uh, collegiate athletics, um, you know, with uh, just so many changes, uh, the, la- the changing landscape, the, um, you know, whether it's uh, the portal, NIL, um, you know, the money, uh, the a realignment of conferences. Um, it's, um, you know, sometimes it's just, I, I just like being in the gym with our team and, you know, going to practice and watching video and, um, you know, just like thinking about like kind of, to me, the, the things that are the, the things that keep me grounded, you know, like just that, that to me is what's really fun. And we've seen peers of yours, Muffet McGraw, we had on the podcast and we talked about her walking away. Jay Wright recently walked away. Um, what what gets you going? What drives you? You talk about being in the gym with your players. Like what what's causing you to think about, all right, like I'm going to continue to be successful. And, and obviously those two coaches and yourself have had immense success, Hall of Fame coaches. But what what's really the driver for you to continue uh, to, to coach and to work at your craft? Well, you know, I, I mean, I just, uh, I enjoy it and it is still fun for me. It's not a job job. And it, I don't know that it ever has felt like that for me. Um, I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm coming to work in sweats and, you know, I'm going to, I'm going over the gym, you know, it's like, I, I think even if I was retired, I'd want to be in the gym, you know, to, I love basketball and I love watching basketball and I love the, the strategy of basketball. I mean, I watch it on television. I, I think if I were in junior high now, you know, with all the basketball on TV, I'd probably flunk out of junior high. I just love basketball. And, but at the same time, you know, I also, I think that I, I work hard at taking care of myself. You know, I'm on a pretty strict routine of uh, working out every day. Um, You know, we have a great pool at Stanford. I swim three times a week. I bike three times a week. I, you know, I lift, I have a rowing machine and, you know, I've done, you know, Pilates and, and yoga. And I, I try to do things, um, you know, that are nurturing for me so that then I can be really, um, I can be effective with our team. And I, I am energetic and enthusiastic and, you know, can handle kind of the, the, the different challenges that come as, you know, that come to your head coach that, that come every, pretty much every day, you know, you've got 15 players and there's always something every day, but, um, you know, I just, I, I love the game and I, I love teaching the game. I, I feel like, um, you know, it's fun and I want to keep it fun for our players. Do you think about legacy? I don't really at all. Any reason in particular? Um, it, it, it doesn't, it, it feels like it's a different person, you know, like, um, I just, I just, I just like, um, I mean, I, I don't know. I just, I like going to the gym. I like going to practice. I like working with my, our staff, you know, I love coming onto campus at Stanford. I mean, here I am at Stanford. Right. And this, this really cracked me up. Um, uh, one of our, one of our outstanding professors, uh, Carolyn Bertozzi, just won a Nobel Prize. And in her Q&A, they said, well, what sports teams do you like? And she said, um, you know, she was from Boston, the Boston Celtics and Stanford women's basketball. You know, so I actually, I, I wrote her an email and, you know, invited her to, to a game and she's going to come and we're going to honor her at one of our, our games in December. But, you know, she's like, oh, I'm so excited to get an email from you. And I'm like, 
you're a Nobel laureate. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a basketball coach, you know? So, but it's, it's fun to, you know, it's fun to I- interact with, you know, like um, Condoleezza Rice, uh, Dr. Rice is at Stanford and, you know, we're, we're going to go to dinner or, I mean, the people I meet, the, that, that just really, um, I love it. You know, I love meeting people and like the professors that we have at Stanford, um, Lisa Solomon, um, you know, Professor Solomon did a democracy uh, Zoom. I don't know if you follow that at all, but it was, it was fantastic. And the energy that's at Stanford and the, um, you know, the people that I meet that, that gives me a lot of juice. When you were deciding to take the job at Stanford, were you thinking about those types of things back then? Or were you just looking at the basketball opportunity? Um, well, I think that, um, you know, I, I loved my time at Ohio state and loved my team there. They were, I've never coached any better players than I had on that team. Um, and it was a, it was a different time in women's sports and that there were challenges then of just ha- getting, you know, um, getting, um, tutors for women's basketball players. And I was frustrated with things. And, uh, I think Stanford, um, you know, having, the academic background that I have in my family, both of my parents are in academics. You know, I just thought Stanford is the ultimate challenge to have students that can get into Stanford. Students like the twins on my team last year, Lexi and Lacey Hall, they competed with each other. Like one had a three, uh, three, nine, eight, and one had a three, nine, nine, something like crazy, you know, in engineering, you know, so coaching, I think especially for women, you know, because there are a lot of guys that are going to go in the pros, they're going to make a lot of money and they won't even graduate from college. But women, you know, still college, the college degree, I think is a very valuable thing for women. And I think being at Stanford, I didn't, I didn't really know uh, kind of some of the other, uh, the ancillary things that maybe I would enjoy about Stanford, but I, I love coaching the quintessential Stanford student. You know, I, that, that really makes me happy to, you know, we have women on our team that had like, you know, perfect SATs. And I mean, it's just like, they're smart and they're, they're funny. And they, you know, they're out, you know, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years later, they're doing amazing things. And I'm really proud of them. You mentioned your parents some already in this podcast, but I was listening to a story you told about uh, when I was preparing for this podcast that the way you shared the news with your dad that you were leaving Ohio state was to get his opinion. Hey, what do you think about me potentially taking this job? And he didn't know that you had already accepted it. And he, he was basically saying, you should not leave. You should not take that job. They're like, well, surprise. It's already happened. Uh, How much of your dad's voice and saying that I don't think you should take that. Has that been in your, in your mind as you're building this program um, I'm sure there were others that were saying, you know, to your point, like maybe you can't build a, a championship program there. Um, do you have, did you use that? Did you, did you pull on that lever at all for your own motivation um, or, or your own? Well, when I first came to Stanford, you know, they had a, they had a, um, an awards banquet at the end of the year. And it, it was amazing because uh, we were outside on the grass and, you know, so I'm on, I'm in like a folding chair and, they were introducing the the all Olympians swimmers and um, you know all American Olympians and you know they've won like two three four national championships and that and that went on to this sport and that sport and I could feel the chair sinking into the grass like oh my goodness I am in trouble but um, you know I just had in my mind we're you know we're going to turn this around and you know it was all about recruiting and getting players I told my assistant coaches. You know, we have three priorities. Number one is recruit. Number two is recruit. Number three is recruit. Goodbye. You know, and we need to, we needed to really get out there and, and really beat the bushes for players. And one of the first players that one of my assistants saw was uh, Jennifer AZ, uh, who was the first All-American uh, at Stanford. And she called me, my assistant called me and said, you know, Tara, I just saw a great point guard. I'm like, great. I said, does she have grades? And she said, yes. I said, oh, great. And then she said, well, we have a little problem. She's from Tennessee. I'm like, Ooh, that's a problem, you know, but we got Jennifer and Sonia Henning and Trisha Stevens and Katie Stedding and, you know, two Olympians. Uh, we had Val Whiting. Um, 
you know, we won a national championship with that group and then we won again. And then, and we were, we kept knocking on the door for, you know, you know, really 20 years. And then on the 20, 21 years later, then we won again. So, um, you know, it's, it's kind of, uh, you know, it was, uh, I, I love the challenge of working at Stanford and, and it is a challenge, you know, to find, to find students that fit the profile. The Dean of Admissions said to me, Tara, the players you recruit need to be able to jump through the same academic hoops as any, any other student. And I was thinking to myself, I need them to put the ball through the hoop, you know? Um, but, you know, it's been great. Um, I love it. I love working here. And it's, um, you know, it's, I think it's a great fit for me. It's interesting because you're the winningest coach in, in women's college basketball. And then I look at the men's side and coach K as well. And he's at a university like Duke, which also has academic rigor. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm wondering if maybe people miss what some of the op opportunities are um, that come with being at, uh, you know, a great academic institution that combines athletics and academics. We could talk about the obstacles and you sort of hit on those, but what are the opportunities that you've seen uh, that may have not been something you were thinking about when you took the job and, and maybe what are the opportunities that exist when you have an academic institution like Stanford or an academic institution like Duke that others might see as barriers where you might've seen them as opportunities. Well, I, you know, I think that, um, you know, Stanford is a world renowned research institution and it, uh, you know, so for a student that is serious about academics, um, it, re it really, Stanford appeals to that type of person. And there will be over 50,000 young high school students with four points and everything that will apply to Stanford. It's um, a beautiful campus. Um, you know, there's, there's so much support for students and student athletes. Uh, like every student gets free tutoring, not just student athletes. Um, and the student athletes are, you know, they're one in six. We have 30, uh, 36 varsity sports. And it's really a challenge to, to coach at Stanford because, you know, because of the academic um, kind of uh, profile that we need to find. But once you find that person, it's very ex extremely rewarding. And I think I knew it. I knew it in a way that like I would have loved to have gone to Stanford. I mean, I love school and, you know, I love basketball. And this is to me the combination of the elite basketball and elite academics. And you know, it's the ultimate challenge on the court and the ultimate challenge in the classroom. It isn't for everyone, you know, that, but, but for the people that like that type of challenge, they're very happy. And, uh, you know, then you have bring in the sunshine and we're in a great league and we're, you know, just uh, all, all the things on television, all the things that are positives for a student athlete we have. You mentioned all the brilliant, you know, women have come through your team and the amazing things they're doing beyond basketball, but I read a stat that 12 of your players um, and assistants have gone on to become head coaches uh, as well. How does that make you feel when you, when you see people from a basketball standpoint, leaving Stanford and, and making an impact and having, you know, real, real success and, mm -hmm. and building programs of their own? Well, I would say most of the, most of the women on, on the team don't go into basketball. Um, I have, there's more lawyers than probably anything else, more engineers, more doctors than basketball coaches. Um, but, uh, I, you know, I think that, I mean, I think being a coach is, um, is, it is being a teacher of, of, of basketball. And, you know, I kind of use the analogy of, you know, that your the court is our classroom. So in some ways, you know, they're, they're professors. Um, I'm very proud of, the women that I've coached, um, one of the women that was an intern for us is an, an NBA official right now. I mean, we have, uh, you know, some of the top women in, at the NBA are from Stanford, played on our team. Uh, top professors, uh, Kay Starbird was a player of the year. Uh, you should get her on your podcast. That's a good one for you. Um, she's a professor at the University of Washington. Um, you know, she was a Naismith player of the year, uh, leading scorer when she graduated from Stanford. Um, you know, and there are some, there are some women that are, are in basketball, but, um, you know, I just, I think it's more important. I mean, whether, you know, whether they're engineers or coaches or professional, you know, business and business, it's, 
that they're really involved with their communities and they're, um, you know, they're, they're really uh, high caliber people. And that's what I'm proud of. Yeah. It sounds like you, you know, David Brooks has a book, the road to character and talks about the eulogy versus the resume and how many of us focus on our resume, but we should actually just focus on our eulogy. Um, and the eulogy is when our character is sort of revealed and people talk about who we are more than, more than what we did. Um, it seems like that resonates with you and that you're focused on, Hey, you're, it sounds like there's a lot of focus on the present and doing the best you can with what's in front of you. Um, and you don't think too far ahead. And it sounds like you're not even that focused on the past and you like sort of taking things day to day. How do you maintain that presence to be present? Is there anything that you do uh, to do that? Or is that, um, I, you know, I, th I think that um, I think I, I think I kind of learned this a little bit when, I mean, just think of COVID, you know, everyone was, oh, you know, how your team's really doing great and you're going to go to the tournament. I'm like, no, I'm going to enjoy today. Sorry, we got a little fire truck going by. Um, but I'm going to enjoy today and then look at the whole thing shut down, you know? Um, so we didn't even have a tournament. We didn't, we didn't even play, you know? And I just, um, I, I don't know. I just, I feel like, um, you know, I just want to enjoy, I want to enjoy today. One of the things that I do, and I learned this kind of through the pandemic, but when the pandemic hit, um, that was a really, I think a really challenging time for everyone. But, you know, my mom is 95 and I'm like, she is going to be very lonely, you know, by herself. And she's a, lives in a senior living. And so I said, all right, I got my sisters and we, we play bridge every day, you know, just like we've got to do something, you know, we've got to do zooms and we've got to, we've got to keep each other's spirits up. So uh, I, I, if there's a past, I might, it's like driving a car. I'm not going to stare in the rear view mirror when I'm driving forward, you know, and I'm not going to be looking way out there. What's out there. I'm going to just focus on where I'm at right now and enjoy today. You know, this is, this is fun talking to you. All right. We're going to go back a little bit though. You mentioned your mom, uh, you mentioned your dad earlier. What are the values that, that they passed down to you and your siblings? Uh, can you talk about their impact on you and, and how they influenced sure. how you see the world? Well, I'm the oldest of five, four girls and a boy. Um, and um, one thing is, I think, you know, really important to my parents was that, that everyone get a really good education, you know, and so all of myself and my siblings, you know, graduated from college and uh, um, everyone except for my brother has her master's degree and one sister has her PhD. Um, so I, I think actually four of the girls are involved with education now still. So, you know, either coaches or professors uh, or teachers. And then my brother um, is in construction. But um, I think that, you know, my parents really valued education and they also really valued being healthy. My dad was way ahead of his time in terms of, you know, a, a big, uh, big night out for our family was going to the Y jumping on the trampoline, going swimming, you know, playing basketball. Um, we lived on a private school when I, you know, when I was in high school, we, we moved to a private school. We had keys to the gym and the pool. Now our family was really popular because, you know, we could go over and go swimming in the pool. I mean, we're talking a regular pool, you know, and a regular gym. And it was, I mean, we were in heaven. That was awesome. Um, we played tennis. We played, I mean, we we're busy in the summer, but we skied in the winter. We, you know, we had an ice skating pond where I lived. So we we're very active. So I, I think my parents really valued education, um, being healthy, eating healthy. Um, they also, they also had a, a rule in our house that you could never go to bed mad at, at your siblings. So even if you were having a fight, you had to make up before you could go to bed. And, and sometimes I could have some really drag down, knock down, drag down fights with my brother. Um, but, you know, we're really close. Um, our family is really close. Um, I lost my dad, you know, um, over uh, 20 years ago, um, but, um, you know, about 25 years ago this year, but, um, you know, we, we really had fun as a family um, and we're, we're really close. And I think that, you know, just my parents, my, my dad was always like, you know, just, you know, if you break the rules, you'll get caught. So, you know, I'm a rule follower, um, you know, and not cheating and not, uh, not being dishonest. And, you know, and just, uh, I think being, uh, you know, being a good person, you know, just uh, how to represent yourself and represent your family and hopefully represent Stanford. So uh, I didn't have the SAT scores to get into Stanford. So my math might be a little fuzzy here, but you said mom's 95, 
dad mm-hmm. passed about 25 years ago. Uh, yeah. I don't know how much older he was than, than your mom. How much older was he than he, your mom? Uh, uh, four years. He died when he was 74. So dying at 74. How did that impact you and how you live and how you think about life? Mm-hmm. Um, especially as you approach 70 here, how, how does it right. impact you day, day um, to day? You know, uh, I mean, I, 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 there's probably, there's not a day that goes by that I don't think about him. And, you know, I wish that, I wish that he had lived to, you know, see, uh, he, he did see us win a national championship. Well, he, he did, he did, he did see us, but he didn't, he wasn't there for the gold medal game too, but he was always a nervous dad you know he he would be like if he was at the gym he if you know if the game was close he liked 30 point wins i'm like dad you can't always win by 30 points you know so he'd be up walking along the outside in the concourse and you know getting a drink or you know getting a soda or getting popcorn he just he couldn't even sit my brother's the same way um but um i i you know just i try to really enjoy every day with my mom whether it's you know i call her every day or you know, we play bridge every day, especially during COVID we did. Now, now it's a little more challenging, but, um, you know, and just really enjoy their company. And I, I, I do, um, you know, and I want the players on our team to really appreciate what their parents have done for them and the sacrifices that their parents have made uh, for them, you know, to, to come to a place like Stanford or to be, you know, all the dragging, dragging around to AAU tournaments that they did for them, you know, everything that they invested in, what they, what they gave up for their children. I want, I want young people now to appreciate things and not just have their hands out and just, you know, to remember to say thank you and to be, to, uh, to experience gratitude. It's interesting. When I first started doing the work that I do, I would have parents say to me, you know, the rule in our house is that everybody has to be working toward being great at something or they'd get like very specific. And I've got two brothers. My dad was successful in business and me and my two brothers, like whatever measure you deem success, whether it's married kids, uh, work, uh, income, I don't know. Everyone's got different measures of success, but like, we're pretty good humans. I think, um, we turned out okay. And so people often ask, my dad or they'll ask me like, Hey, how did your parents raise you? And I always say, they just told us to be good people mainly. Like there wasn't this focus on being great. Like, yeah, work hard. And, mm-hmm. you know, but mainly it was about like treat people well. And, you yeah. know, to your point, like hold the door open for someone, say, thank you, say, please like manners, like the very basics and fundamentals. Mm-hmm. Do you feel as though you have a role to play in that, um, in that relationship with your, athletes or are they already pretty much there by the time they get to you when it comes to their character? Well, you know, Brian, I think that, um, you know, parenting and coaching are very similar and they're very similar to gardening. You don't just sit and look at the garden, you water the garden, you weed the garden, you know, you fertilize the garden, you know, if you just sit and, and as a parent, if you just let the kids do what they want, they're not going to come out right. If you, as a coach, just let the, you know, throw the ball out there and let them do what they want, they're not going to play well. So it's constant. Uh, I, I'm very tuned in for our players about body language. Uh, just, you know, being not just a, a really talented. When we have players on our team, I want them to be all Americans. Not, not little A, but big A. You know, like be an all-American in who you are as a teammate, who you are as an opponent. Pick somebody up. You know, like you said, you know, open the door, um, thank, you know, you know, be aware of your, we, we do every Thursday today, um, thankful Thursday, you know, and what we go around a circle, you know, people can just chime in what they're thankful for, you know, and, you know, and our, I'm really happy to say our, our players will say, you know, I really, you know, I'm thankful for our trainer or our managers or our strength coach, or, you know, um, you know, what, whatever it is, you know, it was last week was national coaches day or something, you know, and players are like, you know, thank you to the coaches. And I, I think that that's good to, um, to experience gratitude, uh, to experience thankfulness. And, you know, the, the world is bigger than just you and it doesn't, the sun doesn't revolve around you as a player or me as a coach. It's, you know, it's bigger than that. It's clear that you live with humility. I think people say they're humble. It's like, if you say you're humble, I don't know how humble you are. So I'll just say it for you. Like, it's clear that you walk with some humility, especially given the accolades and the accomplishments you have. 
And when you said all American, I started thinking about American culture, culture in general, and how often there's a lot of generalizations that come with Americans that they are, you know, focused on themselves, that they are focused on, you know, individual success. And um, the more that I think about our culture, the less I actually think that's true. I think it's a misconception. I think mm-hmm. anything great that's been done in American culture has been done with a team. Um, we we tend to let's just go to Silicon Valley where you are, like where you're near. We tend to think like Elon Musk or Mark Zuckerberg or whoever you want to pick, like they are an individual genius. But if you study them, you'll often find there's always a team that's helping make them successful. So can you talk about how you think about um, the team and the we and, and the power of a team uh, compared to an individual? You're in a team sport. So Uh, What have you seen with your, with your best teams? What have you seen as far as Mm -hmm. the teamwork goes compared to individuals? Well, I think it's very challenging right now for a lot of young people because they live in a world of iPhone, iPad, you know, um, and I'm an instant gratification, Google it, you know, they find out right away and like coaching basketball or playing basketball or being on a basketball team. Uh, is a slow cooker. You know, it's not instant oatmeal. It's steel cut oatmeal. It's it's slow, and that's not the world our players live in. You know, they want things instantaneously, and I think that that contributes to the the meanness. And you know, um, you know, there is that saying, "There's no I in team," and uh, we we have to we have to convince players to uh, to be to buy into um, a, a bigger kind of something bigger than themselves. You know, it's not all about me. It's about us or we and how we can, what we can accomplish together. Um, And that's it. I think that's a challenge in today's day and age. Um, I think one of the things that we deal with um, that is kind of in our culture um, and that is just could really destroy us is greed. You know, people being greedy, you know, wanting things for themselves and, and I, I like it when our team, as an example, is happy for other people's success. So like we'll have our game and, you know, you can see the court here, you know, we'll come in after the game and one maybe a player has a great game. She has like a lot of rebounds and usually probably points or assists. And, you know, we have the, the TV will inter, media will interview her. So she'll come in the locker room late and everyone on our team will like throw water on her or towel on her or something like that. And I, I like that, you know, I, I, I like to coach players that, um, get out of the me and get into the we, you know, I, I like that. It's, it's fun. It's interesting. I just finished watching the redeem team, which is a documentary about the U S men's oh, Olympic heard team. About that. It's really good because I think, and it'd be interesting for your, your teams to mm-hmm. watch it because really what happened were a lot of those men's Olympic us teams were taking their opponents for granted and the whole process and the whole program was they just put these stars together and they go and they lose to puerto rico and they lose to argentina and they lose to greece and um it was a good reminder i think for basketball in our country that that's not gonna win and um and then you see them come together and coach k takes over and and colangelo is running and they turn it into a program and they really get them focused on how to make each other better and and the we of it you had the opportunity to coach a, a gold medal uh u.s team and you mentioned it earlier what was that experience like for you and bringing those people together and competing for gold well, I think it, it kind of happened in the same way that it did for the men and that the women, you know, when they introduced the first dream team, it was um, the team that played in Barcelona in 1992. And, you know, you got Michael Jordan and, you know, those guys, they're, they're just like phenomenal. And, but what I think basketball for in our country, a lot of times be, becomes one ball in 10 players where internationally it's two balls in one player, like people are working on their skill set. And by playing together and moving and the rules changed also, you know, we went to a three point line, which favored international players that are really, really good shooters. And we liked, we liked in the old days, we liked to play both men and women. Like that's when we won a national championship was when we had the three point line before that it was all about the big physical player inside. And, you know, American basketball was uh, almost wrestling or sumo wrestling or football, you know, it was very, very physical basketball. Um, And then, you know, I think that for us, for the women's program, 
we did. We trained for a year. We did. We did more training than the men did. But you know, uh, the days of just showing up and you know playing for two weeks, um, it, you know, it's those days are over. Internationally, basketball is such a popular sport, and you know, so we learned it earlier than the men. But it was the same lesson. You you've got to train. You've got to you've got to work on skills. Uh, you've got to play team basketball, not just show up and think you can go one-on-one against the world's best. I'm going to come back to the, the USA uh, experience for you and winning gold. But before I do that, another question popped into my mind that I felt compelled to, to ask you, which is I play basketball on Wednesday nights. I'm sore talking to you right now. Um, yeah. And so you mentioned that you're still competitive with, I think, sail, sailing, yeah. uh, you're, you're getting up, you're swimming, you're exercising. Do you still play ball? Um, I don't because I don't want to get hurt playing basketball um, when I can do these other things. But um, when I was first at Stanford, I did, you know, so, you know, obviously 30 years ago, I was playing with our team. Uh, I'd be out there doing drills and stuff, but um, I did uh, probably about seven or eight years ago, I took a charge in practice and I'm still, I probably have arthritis in my wrist now because of that. And I, I said, that's it for me. I'm done. So, do, you miss, do you miss playing? Um, you know, I just, I just know my limitations. Uh, you know, I might just go out and dribble around a little bit, but, um, you know, it's, uh, I, I don't, I don't have the strength to like shoot a three even, you know? And so, I mean, I, I'm, I'm happy coaching it. All right. I want to go back to the the gold medal. So there's three moments that I want to get your, I want to step into your shoes and feel what it's like, because I know me, I'm not going to win a USA gold medal. Uh, I don't think uh, I'm not going to win a national championship and I'm certainly not going to pass Pat summit and, and become the all time uh, coaching leader in wins in, in women's basketball. So I know you have that humility, but I want to just get our listeners to experience what it felt like to have those accomplishments. So winning the gold, when you're standing on you know the podium and they give you that medal and you hear the national anthem what did that feel like for you brian coaches don't get a medal you don't get a medal Mm -mm. just the players really yeah but we had practiced that ceremony in the georgia dome nine months ahead and so we we really we had a picture of our gold medals in our in our notebooks um that was what we did it for to win that gold medal um and I don't know that, I mean, I was excited for our team. You know, there was a part of me that was really sad that it was over. Um, and I think that, you know, this was the funny thing actually. Um, so I, you know, we had the medal ceremony, we were in the hotel and everyone left the next day, you know, and there was tremendous pressure on that team to win a gold medal. You know, the idea that the WMDA was depending on it, the ABL, um, you know, the pro leagues were depending on women, the women's Olympic team. And so we won it. And then I, I came home and I'm like, you know, I've been gone for like three months and it was a weird thing. I looked at my refrigerator. I'm like, well, of course there's no, nothing there. Right. So I go down to the grocery store and I'm putting these oranges in a bag and I can see this person kind of looking at me like, you know, and so, you know, I kind of wave and, and she goes, well, aren't you, uh, aren't you Tara? You know, I'm like, okay, that's close enough. You know? I go, yeah. <laughs> and uh, she goes, didn't you just win a gold medal yesterday? I go, Yeah. And she goes, you're shorter than I thought. <laughs> so, you know, uh, I mean, it's just, it was, it was awesome. You know, it was an awesome experience. Um, I loved it. Um, I put everything I had into it and, you know, the team was a, a fantastic team. Do you think coaches should get a medal? Um, I don't know. I mean, I have a lot of stuff. It, it doesn't bother me one way or the other, honestly. I mean, I didn't, I didn't run up and down the court. I never scored a basket. Um, I, I know, I, I think that that's just the way it is. And I'm, it doesn't bother me. By the way, so your name is Tara, correct? It's not Tara. Yeah. So yeah. when people call you Tara, how do you, how do you react to that? I pretty much know they don't really know me. <laughs> it's an interesting thing as I was preparing for this. I was like, no, I want to make sure it's Tara. But a lot of people that interview you call you Tara. And luckily yeah. I found an interview where, um, you referenced your own name and I was like, okay, I got the source now. It's, it's Tara. Well, actually my dad used to call me Tara. That's an East coast version, Tara, Tara, Tara. There's three different kind of things, but I, you know, like East coast is sometimes Tara, 
which is different than Tara. So, but I'm, you know, I know when they call, like if the phone, you know, if the phone rings and they ask for Tara, I'm, I'm like, oh, she's not here. <laughs> <laughs> Easy enough. Good to know if you ever want to get in touch with coach, oh. make sure you pronounce it correctly. All right. All right. Let's go to uh, winning your first national championship uh, at Stanford. What, what did that feel like? What was that memory like for you? It was awesome. Um, you know, we had a great team. We had just lost one game and it was a weird thing because um, whatever team we played in that tournament was the underdog. So we got the team after they had their big upset and they were just happy to be playing us and then we beat them, you know, and that happened all the way through the tournament. And one funny thing happened. We, we were playing in Knoxville, Tennessee, and, you know, it was really exciting just to go to the final four. And I remember looking at Thompson Bowling Arena and thinking, oh, my gosh, someone has to win a national championship. Why not us? You know, why not us? We're here. You know, it was our first time. And a lot of people thought, oh, you know, Louisiana Tech was the favorite. Um, and they were. They were undefeated. And they, you know, they had a really good team. But um, we, we played in the first game and we played against Virginia. We played against Dawn Staley and, and her team. And. We, we beat them. And then I went in the stands to scout and there are these guys behind me. They're like, all right, let's watch the varsity game. Now that was a JV game. I'm like, Whoa, you know, that's what they, so I, I told our team, I said, that's what they think of you. You know, our team is the JV team. And so we had, you know, it was really fun to win um, the national championship and it was really exciting. And I was really happy for our players. Were your other ones similar or are they different as you, as you reflect back on them? Um, you know, uh, I think the first one is special in a way, just because I don't know, you know, coming to Stanford when the team had been five and 23, you know, and nine and 18 or 19, you know, years before I got here, winning a national championship was, was a little bit out outrageous. You know, um, it was pretty bold to say that, you know, that in five years, we're going to do that, what we did. And, uh, you know, it was really fun to, you know, build a crowd and, and uh, have the have the great players that we had and the excitement that we had. I think in that with that ninety team, we scored over one hundred eleven times. And um, you know, it was really it was really fun. It was a great group. Uh, we we had uh, we were fortunate. We stayed healthy. You know, and then uh, and and the team enjoyed playing with each other. So it was really fun. Um, then we we won in ninety two, and then we were really close a lot of times after that. And. I'm, I'm glad we got that third one just because it, um, you know, it felt we're knocking on the door. We just, we just got to get it done. And how about passing Pat summit? What was that like for you? Um, you know, I, I, I don't think, um, I don't think it's really, uh, fair in a way. I mean, she was ill, you know, um, I, she'd still be coaching and I'd still be way behind her. So I don't really, you know, I, I think that sometimes, you know, I, I think about how much I miss her more than anything and what a great friend she was. And, you know, one time we were playing, Pat, we were playing at Tennessee and um, she just, uh, she and I were really good friends and she came over, you know, we want to beat them, you know, like I'm thinking, oh yeah, we got, you know, this is, we're going to, we got to really play really well. And, you know, you're getting all excited to play and she comes over and I just said, you know, Pat, this is just, look at this. The crowd was awesome. Look at what you've built here. And she turns to me and she goes, Tara, I love you. And I'm like, how can I want to beat her like that? You know, when she says that, I was like, uh, you know, I was just, she, she was just, a, she was a great coach and a great person. And I just, I miss her as a friend and, you know, just the, I'm, I'm hoping that she would be smiling from up above, you know, knowing that I did it, you know, coaching the right way. When we had Candace Parker on the podcast, she talked about Coach Summit quite a bit. But one of the things that stuck out was her attention to detail and how much she cared about everyone she interacted with. And she would talk about the way she would even do her autograph and and the way that she took uh, she cared about it. She cared about little things and details. What's your perspective on her? You mentioned as a coach and a player, it could be either of those. But what stands out from from what you witnessed with her? Well. I coached a lot of her players and they, um, they loved her. And I think that's the most important thing um, is that, you know, she had great relationships with her players. I mean, I'm not going to say that it was every single one all the time. Um, you know, she was tough. She was very demanding. Um, but 
Um, I think that that was probably the thing that I noticed more than anything. Like when I coached the players that played at Tennessee, they were very proud to, you know, have been, to have been players at Tennessee and they were very proud to play for Pat. And I want our players to feel the same way. You know, I want our players to love playing at Stanford and love playing for me. Yeah. How are you different from her? You mentioned she was tough and demanding. Are you, are you similar? Are you different? Like what's your style? Um, probably, um, I mean, she's, I think she's probably much, probably perceived to be much tougher than me. You know, um, I, I would say I approach coaching kind of in the way that I approach teaching, you know, and my dad would always say, you get more bees with honey than vinegar. You know, I, I would say that I'm, you know, I'm not a, um, I'm not a punishment oriented person. I'm a, you know, we'll, we'll do stuff like push three push ups or a sprint down and back. But um, I, I feel like I'm more of a teacher. Um, I, I think that, you know, she, she's probably more of a, a coach that got on people more um, and, and it worked for her. But you, I think that that's the most important thing that as a coach and no matter what you're in, you have to be yourself. I could not be her and she could not be me. Early on in your ways work. Early on in your career, did you ever question your style and, and the way in which you went about coaching? And maybe, oh, I wish I was a little bit tougher. I, I wish I was a little bit, you know, I had that in me. Was there ever any questioning early in your career as you were trying to find your way? No, uh, I just, I was, I think I've always been pretty, um, I mean, I could look in the mirror and be happy with being myself. Uh, and I knew that. I knew that I just had to be me in order for it to work on in the long term, you know, and not, I can't be, try to be someone else. I mean, I went to Indiana, I watched, you know, three years of Indiana basketball and, but I know I can't be, you know, coach Knight, you know, I just, I have to be me, but I can learn a lot from him and I can learn a lot from Pat. Uh, and a lot of the, oh, so many of the great coaches that, you know, I learned from, um, I'm a copier by nature, which I I'm proud of. You know, what's interesting. So for my company, I did all this, I, I did a rebrand. And so they asked all my clients, all these people that were engaged with me, like, why do you work with Brian? And I thought there was going to be some like beautiful, brilliant thing that I uncovered with them. And instead they were like, no, I think Brian's just like a genuinely good guy. And I was like, oh man, like genuinely good guy. <laughs> I guess that's why they pay me money. Um, but I've often been told like, Brian, you're, you're just genuine, you're authentic. And I'm like, I don't really know any other way to be. It's not like I'm trying to be genuine and I'm trying to be authentic. That's just who I am. It'd be a lot harder if I was trying, if I was someone that I'm not like that to me is acting mm -hmm. like that's way more difficult for me. Right. But I can't put my finger on like where that comes from. Like where did my capacity to be authentic and genuine and, and just trust in that come from? I think it came from you as a little child. You, you learned your habits as a young boy um, with your family, with your siblings. You, were, you felt uh, secure in, in who and loved. And we work with, uh, we work with a guy that, um, uh, another, this would be a great podcast for you. His name is Fred Luskin. Look him up. And Fred is, uh, has written a lot of books on forgiveness. And um, he, he just... He'll, he'll do an exercise with our team and he'll just say, close your eyes and think about a time that you were really loved, you know? And I think, you know, and we, we do, I, I think it's really an exercise. It's a great exercise for anybody, but um, you know, I think that that as a young person, you feel, you know, you're not trying to prove who you are. You're just who you are. And I don't feel like I have to prove anything either. I mean, like I'm, I'm very happy being who I am, doing what I do. And, you know, it works for some people and it doesn't work for other people. But, um, you know, I'm, I, I have a great life and I just have to pinch myself sometimes like, wow, this is my life. It's awesome. You know, I work at Stanford. I, I mean, I just I work with, a, you know, great assistant coaches and a great administration, a great university with really um, motivated and talented young women uh, living in, you know, Palo Alto, California. Um, it's, I just, you know, it's, I just sometimes have to pinch myself. For those that may struggle with authenticity or being genuine, you've probably had players where you, you see that happen. Do you think that's from their upbringing? Is it them trying to 
appease someone or, or yeah, I do. Yeah. Can you go into that a little bit? Well, um, you know, just, uh, I, I think that right now in our world, unfortunately, I mean, just even if you look at what happened with COVID, you know, you have, um, and social media, you have so many young people that are so isolated They're They, they don't connect with other people. They're, you know, they're always on their phones, you know, or they're, you know, they're always playing video games or, you know, they're, and I, I think that, um, you know, being, um, being a, a, being a person takes work. Like you don't, you don't just show up, you know, um, kind of the, the price of admission is active participation. You've got to participate. You've got to be, you know, you, you've got to be, uh, you've got to, you've got to be invested in, in the process and other people, you know, you can't just sit back. And like, when you think about being on a team, you know, you, you, you've got to be, you know, I, like I look at our team and I'm so proud of like our young people, especially during COVID they, they did um, like just mini zooms that I had nothing to do with. We did a weekly zoom with our team and we'd have guests and we'd do that, but they would follow up with four other zooms with, uh, you know, different classes and get different speakers. They put the work in and, you know, being, being a, I think being a, um, you know, a, an accomplished anything is so much perspiration, not inspiration, you know, is you've got to do the work and you've got to enjoy the grind and you've got to uh, enjoy, you know, the relationships that you have with people. Um, and, and that, and that, that sometimes, you know, that takes energy. And so I think, you know, you know, being that kind of person is a challenge. Uh, and especially now. You mentioned technology and, and the changes there. You mentioned the iPhone earlier. Um, when it comes to connecting, how are you still able to connect with your student athletes at 69? Um, well, I can't tell you that I always like all of the music that they play at practice, but you know, I, I let them play it loud. Um, and you know, I think I think people are people, you know, you know, just I think like just it was funny because we did a ropes course with our team. And um, I mean, like I went up there on that high thing and jumped off and I climbed up there. And and afterwards, I kind of had to remind some of them. I said, picture your grandmother doing this because I'm old enough to be your grandmother. You know, they're like, whoa, you know, so, um, you know, I, I think that connecting with them is is listening and um, just being um, being present for them, you know, being someone they feel they can talk to and you know, and not being judgmental, you know, it's hard enough just to, you know, I mean, just trying to really help them. I, I, my job is to help them be the best they can be, you know, and, you know, for me to study the game and to do things that, um, you know, just help them be the best they can be. I think that's a beautiful place for us to wind down. Tara, I am going to hit you up about K. And Fred, Tara has now become a producer for our podcast. Thanks for coming on. She's now going to get us all our podcast guests, especially for next year. Um, so I will hold you to those recommendations. All I'm right. Those are, those are great ones. Those are great ones. Thank I'll, you, Brian. I'll, I'll do my research. Is there anything that you want to promote, whether it's a nonprofit or um, social media or following the team? Is there anything that you want to give a shout out to? Uh, and potentially get some more eyeballs too? Well, I, you know, I think that um, one, you know, there's, I'm involved with a lot of different things. Um, I, I think um, like even my mother says, she goes, you, you're just busy all the time. You know, in our community, um, we have a, a group called job train, you know, helping people get trained and, and have, have a job I'm involved with the humane society of Silicon Valley. You know, I love animals. I have two dogs. Um, but I, I think that, uh, you know, for all of us, um, we have to we have to be participants in our our democratic process. Um, you know, I think we have to be involved with, uh, and especially with our young people, caring about voting, caring about um, our country. Uh, you know, being being outside of yourself. And the big team is our our world. You know, what's happening in Ukraine right now is uh, so so devastating. You know, but um, I think we, we have to be, uh, we have to be great world citizens, you know, and I'll just tell you a quick story. There's when, when I did have the Olympic team, you know, and here we're the Americans, you know, we have everything. Um, uh, Don Staley and Lisa Leslie 
uh, were they would make sure they would collect all the uh, and other players too, but would collect all of our like shoes and socks and even like bras and clothes to give to the Cuban team. You know, I mean, be generous. You know, I think be. Uh, you know, we we can be generous. We can you know help help people. Um, you know, because and and I think be involved in the the democratic process. Um, and kind of get out of our little our little holes or our little silos. Um, climate change is real, you know. Be involved with figuring out how we can, um, you know, make the world a better place and our country a better place. And you know, I try to I I hope I I try to do that through basketball a lot. You know, we do uh, basketball clinics on sometimes the uh, reservations. You know, indigenous uh, reservations. We do uh, clinics. We do things with our team going to. Uh, food pantries, um, things like that. So I, I just think, um, you know, I am so fortunate. I have had just a, a magical life and it, it, it's really important that I give back. And that's something that's really important to me. It's clear that gratitude is at the core of who you are. Also humility, authenticity, thoughtfulness, caring, generosity. And like for me, at least talking to you has, has been a blast just because it seems like you're just a person of character and our world continues to need those. And we will always need those for as long as humans exist. So I just want to thank you for you and, and being you. Well, thanks, and Brian. and I, I just want to thank you for coming on the podcast. So I appreciate it. Right. You. you have a great day, Brian. All right. Take care. You too. Thank you for listening to intentional performers with Brian Levinson. Here is this week's episode gem. I work hard at taking care of myself. You know, I'm on a pretty strict routine of uh, working out every day. Um, you know, we have a great pool at Stanford. I swim three times a week. I bike three times a week. I, you know, I lift. I have a rolling machine, and you know, I've done you know Pilates and and yoga, and I, I, I try to do things, um, you know, that are nurturing for me, so that then I can be really, um, I can be effective with our team, and I, I am energetic and enthusiastic and you know, can handle kind of the, the, the different challenges that come as, you know, that come to your head coach that, that come every, pretty much every day. You know, you've got 15 players and there's always something every day. But, um, you know, I just, I, I love the game and I, I love teaching the game. I, I feel like, um, you know, it's fun and I want to keep it fun for our players.